1: And welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews.
2: Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living. You know, many of us have noticed that there's definitely a shift in consciousness taking place in our world, a shift that has many turning inward for their spiritual awareness rather than outward to a specific dogma, creed, or tradition. Not only that, but we are also seeing much more acceptance of the deeper psychological realm of existence, even in the mainstream, even on mainstream mainstream TV. People are simply beginning to get it that life is more than just eating and sleeping and paying the bills. People are very often seeking something deeper, higher, and more true. Dr. Beverly Lanzetta is here today to talk to us about this shift in go- global consciousness She has an extensive career in studying global spirituality, which began more than 30 years ago after a deep spiritual experience of her own. She spent several years as a spiritual director, teacher, and healer. And later, after receiving her Ph.D. from Fordham University, she served as a professor of religious studies in several liberal arts colleges, including Grinnell, Prescott, and Villanova University. She's author and editor of six books, including the subject of our discussion today, the beautiful book, The Emerging Heart, Global Spirituality, and the Sacred, As an ordained interfaith minister and monastic, she is the founder of four faith initiatives, Desert Interfaith Church, Interfaith Theological Seminary, Hesia School for Spiritual Directors, and Scala Divina. A respected retreat leader, a contemplative, contemplative educator, she is currently affiliated with the University of New Mexico, Albuquerque, as a research scholar. Welcome, Beverly, to our show. I'm so glad that you're taking of your time and energy to talk with our listeners today.
3: Thank you, Andrea. I'm really happy to be here today as well.
2: All right. Well, I want to talk uh, just with you personally about what is it that we all need to understand about how your spiritual experience led you to the life you initiated afterward.
3: Well, um, as I mentioned in Emerging Heart, when I was in my late 20s, I had a a life-changing religious experience, which... um, brought me sort of face-to-face with um, what I would call the nonviolence and a radical openness of the divine. Uh, in that experience, I, I had a deep feeling of um, how religious exclusiveness wounds us and how it leads to all kinds of divisions and violence in our world, and that I began to see that the inner path, the true inner path, had to be not only a mystical path, but a path that um, was inclusive of the great faith traditions, but also understood that we need to uh, practice a deeper openness of heart toward each other. And uh, that was really the beginning of um, not only my teaching life, but uh, all the studies I've done since then.
2: Okay. And you mentioned also in the book that you felt like you were one of the few people, just sort of alone in that for a while, just not able to recognized that other people had some of the same kinds of thoughts and feelings about this that you did for a while, and then you started running into some other people.
3: Yes. Well, um, you know, as a, as a young woman, I, you know, I read a lot of the mystics and different people that it always seemed to me that it was the mystic voice from the past that spoke to me. It was not as many people in my, my daily life that I felt I could speak to. And then when I um, wound up at Fordham University in the theology department, Um, working on my doctoral degree, I realized that there was really a whole history of in-depth thought about these issues and many people today who were searching for the same thing, which was, you know, a spiritual life that was authentic and profound, but not necessarily tied to a religion. I mean, many people I know practice a faith such as Christianity or Buddhism, but even within that faith, they also felt that they... That their faith required them to be open to others, so this combination of um, studying the the scholarship of you know the last you know several hundred years and also meeting other people who were practicing the same way was very instructive for me
2: yeah, and I think that that's an experience that uh, I certainly have had that experience, and I'm certain that other people have had a similar experience of sort of having your own personal spiritual awareness and and, uh, and not being able to meet other people in your daily world that are um, of like mind until you sort of get to a new place in your life and then all of a sudden you start meeting all these other people. And I think that's what's important about global consciousness is that it is becoming more of a global thing. Would you agree with that?
3: Yes, I do. I mean, when I first started teaching, you know, over 30 years ago, there were very few people who Um, really were interested in this sort of idea, you know, at least, in, in, like we said, in our daily life. And now today, I mean, you know, there's statistics that show that 34 million Americans in the latest poll claim to be um, spiritual but not religious or unaffiliated with a particular tradition. So there's a a large movement going on of people uh, seeking not only to, a personal spirituality, but it's a personal spirituality that is rooted in an authentic practice. And in many cases, uh, we find people, you know, pursuing more than one spiritual path, like there are many people who consider themselves a Jewish and Buddhist or Quaker and Hindu or something like that where they're drawing from more than one tradition. And yet, it's not, a, you know, a superficial quest. It's, it's something
2: deeper. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm interested also in how these these um, global consciousness sh- shifts happen over time. You mentioned in your book that every time the world shifts in consciousness, it comes on the heels of some new revelation. What do you think the new revelations are that are occurring previous to this current global shift in consciousness?
3: Well, that's a re- that's a really interesting question. I mean, there's I always think of um, uh, when I when this question is asked, I always think of the um, this notion of the axial period, which was first. Um, articulated by a a scholar named Carl Jaspers in a book he wrote called The Origin and Goal of History in 1949, and he coined the term axial period to describe uh, a time in history which he claimed was between approximately 800 and 200 BCE as a worldwide shift in consciousness. He said that um, at this period, some of the great minds that we think about today, such as um, the Jewish prophets, Isaiah and Elijah, um, the Greek philosophers, Plato and Aristotle, the the Upanishads coming out of India, Lao Tzu, Buddha, and so forth, he felt that these uh, great minds brought a shift in consciousness in the world, that a new kind of consciousness that was shifting humanity from the communal worldview held by indigenous peoples to one which emphasized, you know, individual identity and a self-reflective con- consciousness.
0: Uh,
3: Jaspritz held that it was also in this period that analytical and critical thought, uh, what we would call today science and philosophy, became the dominant mode of consciousness, suppressing and superseding the earth wisdom of tribal cultures. Um, and he, he believed that the major world religions by which we live today were established, coming after, of course, with uh, Jesus and then Muhammad and so forth. Now, what I think is interesting about this is that um, a number of people today, uh, one in particular, Ewert Cousins, who was one of my professors actually at Fordham, contends that we are now in the throes of a second axial period. Exemplified by the convergence of religious traditions and the reclamation of a feminine mode of consciousness. Um, according to cousins and people like PR de Chardin and, and not m- many other people, this new consciousness is intris- intrinsically dialogic, meaning that um, we are moving toward new kinds of truth by being in dialogue with other, uh, other religions, with science, with technology, that there's this large dialogue going on, that the consciousness is also holistic and unitive, uh, rooted in the earth at the same time that it's taking a cosmic view. So it's, it's um, according to these people, there's an emerging shift in consciousness now, um, and that um, that everything we know and everything we are right now is being pushed to the limits of our comprehension as a new reality, or maybe one that's immeasurably old, we don't really know, uh, breaks into awareness. Um, and, and really, people from so many different traditions hold that this is affecting you know, our social, economic, religious, and cultural orientation, and um, guiding us into a new understanding of not only our inner lives, but our world and our understandings of God or the divine nature. So I like to, that's, I mean, I kind of like to think about that when I think about our present moment, that, um, you know, we are living in a, in a new awareness, let's say, and we are struggling in some cases between um, paradigms, you know, an old view of the world, or I wouldn't even say old, but a previous view of the world, and a new view that we're still struggling to understand.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and, it, and, it, and what I love about the way you've said that is, is um, the idea of a dialogic means that we're not just talking between religions. We're talking between science and religion. We're talking between philosophy and faith. We're talking between spirituality and tradition. We're talking between all the different ways of viewing life that, that um, we have, and, and, it, and it does raise consciousness just based simply on the fact that there's more information accessible right and it also is is very creative
3: because it's leading to creative new insights because of this um cross-fertilization if you will of different traditions and different ideas um it's generating you know um, new ways of looking at life uh, that
2: we 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 didn't have before mhm absolutely absolutely there's a quote from your book that I'm going to quote. We just have a minute before the break, but I want to say this, because, I, I, and we may have to leave it off before the break. But uh, The quote says, an old, all, The old divisions between spirit and matter, sacred and profane, and divinity and humanity can no longer explain or assist how we need to live. Rather, they cede to an integral understanding of the cooperative building of the world that involves all dimensions of life, working together in relationships of reciprocity and trust. And you go on to explain that our minds and hearts are expanding and in the process we're integrating opposites. What do you think makes us think in these terms of integrating opposites? Why is that the, the mode that we're in right now?
3: Well, I think part of it has to
2: do with the fact that we see so much
3: divisiveness in the world. Um, there's, there's so much of a kind of black and white mentality or, um, you know, uh, my tradition, your tradition, this kind of uh, divisive thinking. And I think that um, I think many people, and, and this is why I think it's a spiritual movement, many people spiritually understand that um, the way of the future is through uniting divisions, not only uniting divisions in our world, but uniting divisions in ourselves. In other words, what we harbor in our inner lives, our own trials, our own feelings of superiority or... or um, you know, difference or betrayal or whatever. That if we don't learn to heal those differences in ourselves and unite them, we're not going to be able to facilitate uh, the healing of our world. And so I think that okay. so we'll many stop fac- you
2: right there, but we're on that thought right there, because we're going to come right back to that. Okay, we're going to go out for a break. We'll be back in just a minute with Authentic Living and Beverly Lanzetta Okay, thank you.
4: Awakened media for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. It was a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health metaphysics
1: Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council.
0: Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network.
1: You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
2: And we're back today talking with Dr. Beverly Lanzetta about the new shift in global consciousness that we all seem to be participating in, some of us knowingly and some of us unknowingly. We, where we left off just before the break was that uh, you were talking, Beverly, about how we're, we've recognized that there's so many divisions in the external world that are, that are painful for us, but you also brought us down to sort of the divisions in ourself, ourselves, and I want to talk a little bit more about that. How are we sort of shifting that consciousness, the internal splits? Well, I think, again, that the spiritual
3: path, the, you know, I think it's the authentic spiritual path within a religion or outside a religion is really um, all about this internal unification, coming to a place of wholeness, coming to a place of peace, um, understanding the, um, the love and compassion of reality. The benevolence of reality, and I think that um, in order to discover that in the world today, we are—I think—we're being challenged as, as people on a spiritual path to again take to become the way. I, the word I like to use is that our inner lives become sort of an active site of unification. In other words, that part of the the actual spiritual path, if you will, or the spiritual method, is in part to um, to realize our role in facilitating peace within our own beings and therefore peace in the world. And uh, I, again, I think all the great religions point to this as the culmination in a sense, or at least one of the higher points of a spiritual life, is to understand um, that integration. Because, you know, the quintessential mystical insight across traditions is the oneness of reality. And this is what I think is so compelling about our global consciousness is that at the same time that it's affirming diversity and difference and pluralism and embracing all these um, you know, diverse ways of thinking and cross-fertilization of ideas, it's also pointing to um, the oneness of reality because you know, how do we reconcile and acknowledge and celebrate both our differences and the underground, the underlying oneness of, of reality and
2: consciousness. Yeah, and that you know, it's interesting. As I'm sitting here listening to you, I'm thinking about what you said earlier about the axial period, where basically what you said was most of our, most of the world's religions that we know today were formulated during that time. But it was because of a, a shift in consciousness toward a more individual view, away from a more communal view. And I guess what I'm hearing. Is that maybe in this axial period what we're doing is merging those two—the communal and the individual?
3: That's exactly right. I mean, I, I know that um, some of the writers, like Ewert Cousins, I mentioned, and Tejada Stradon, they—they they both felt that as well. That this idea that we're going, we're really going back, in a sense, to the communal consciousness of indigenous peoples, deep into the earth, earth consciousness, um, eco theology these kinds of things, and we're also Expanding outward into a complexified consciousness, a consciousness that is able to hold uh, multiple perspectives on reality, and so those, the wedding of those two is is leading in a way to a new view of the world, um, and that and, and because of that, we need all these um, we need all of our all of our religions and all of our wisdom, both uh, you know, secular and sacred. To uh, help facilitate moving our world into a place where we can acknowledge and affirm the intrinsic holiness of, of, of living in this world.
2: Okay, so what does that say about sort of what we call the dark side of humanity? What, what, where is how do how do we merge with that?
3: Well, I think from a you know from a mystical perspective, you know we you know I would say that. Uh, you know, what you're calling the dark side of humanity or the, the the side of pain, suffering, and violence and so forth, that in the inner life we we all have to go through phases of, you know, what the Buddhists call the great death or Christians might call the dark night of the soul. We're all going to go through a transformation of the false self, of the, um, you know, of pride, of egoism. And unfortunately those things are... Those Attributes of personality are not solely confined to individuals. We see those in the larger world, in social institutions, in religious traditions, and you know, in in uh, national politics and things like that. So I think that um, all we can do on one side in this movement towards a more hopeful world is also to recognize that there are going to be moments of suffering. There are going to be moments of darkness. There are going to be places of deep impact and conflict. But, you know, um, if we maintain that center that is looking at the true meaning of life or toward peace, then we'll, a- we'll be able to navigate those times. And, um, you know, and sometimes in history, you know, the, the difficult moments seem to outweigh the more uplifting moments, but always we see history moving forward, cultures moving forward, so it does provide hope or it provides a sense of um, comfort, let's say, that um, there is something greater than our divisions.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you said that about history, it made me think of this. I have so many clients that, will talk about their own history and say, well, I've never experienced that, so why should it start now? And I guess that's, we look back at our history globally and kind of go, well, we've never experienced peace, so why are we going to have it now, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's that sort of thinking that says, because something has never happened, it never can happen. And and, and uh, as we, uh, those of us who are sort of really on that journey toward peace are finding internal peace more and more, it makes that global perspective of peace seem more possible, doesn't it? Yeah,
3: it does. And I think also that, you know, I think one of the tragedies of modern culture, and I I hope it's changing, is that we're not really educated in the spiritual traditions. We're not, you know, we're not really um, trained, if you will, to understand um, other alternative views of the world other than the rational and the intellectual, that there really are moments in time and moments in history where... Something new breaks into reality. You know, you could call it miracle. You could call it that. You know, a moment of insight. But I think that having an understanding of the history of huma- the spiritual journey of humanity, not just of our time or one tradition, but the whole trajectory, uh, which we are privileged to have today, with with so much being written and uh, so much scholarship done on the world's religions, that when we take the long view we see that really what is what is amazing is that in any given moment, something unexpected can happen. And um, I think even, you know, our recent history shows that. So what I like people to think about, you know, is, is this idea that we always have to be, in a sense, open to the unexpected, and to the unexpected in a positive way as well, that something new can happen. and. Um, and so in that sense, I completely agree with you, Andrea, that, you know, um, peace is possible. We don't know how. And if we look at someone, for example, like Mahatma Gandhi, who spent his whole life working toward uh, nonviolence, um, you know, he, he always said, you know, the, the absolute idea of nonviolence is probably not fully attainable in this life. But that doesn't mean that we don't continue striving toward its perfection. And I think that that is really a, a model that I try to live by, that we, you know, we may never fulfill the, the total capacity of who we are as human beings, but we can on a daily basis strive toward um, greater equanimity, greater compassion, and so forth.
2: Right, absolutely. You mentioned the word "mystical" a couple of times, and people have various definitions of that and uh, I want to just sort of get a brief definition from you what What do you mean when you say mystic or mystical
3: well that 's a great question because it is one of those words you know mystical spirituality people have you know always wonder what that means and I think you know the way I uh, define it and I think it's is sort of this notion that there are moments in life where we have um, the experience of presence or feeling that we have touched the source of reality. And sometimes that um, direct experience of something beyond us, the unseen world, the transcendent world or God or whatever word we use, um, can come spontaneously. Sometimes it comes through prolonged meditative practices but it's a moment when, if you will, the veils of the world part, and we see something of what is real. And I put that in capital, you know, capital letters. So mysticism, academically, is defined as a direct and immediate experience of ultimate reality. However, whatever word you're using for ultimate reality, um, and also um, what I like to think of it as actually being touched by some depth some source of life that we it's not just an intellectual thing it's an experience of being touched by the awe the awe of 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 um, you know what is greater than us
2: okay that awe awe that means the, the power of right the transcendent thing exactly the
3: power of of, of
2: something beyond us All right, well, we have to take another break, but we'll be back in just a moment to talk some more with Dr. Beverly Lanzetta about global, the increasing global awareness.
4: Okay, thank you. Awakened media for a transforming world, Seventh Wave Network.
1: grunt? Yeah, be like, oh, uh, oh, uh. oh there you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call one 200 4005 A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council.
4: I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, AIHT. It was a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love.
1: You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
2: And we're back with Authentic Living, brought to you by the American Institute of Holistic Theology, the school built to help you follow your dreams and to help you make a difference in your life and your world. You know, I also want to tell the listening audience that you can go to my website at www.motivox.com slash voiceamerica and put in a search for Authentic Living and uh, look for my blogs and the ways that you can access me. You can certainly email me with questions for our next guest coming up, and I'll be able to um, ask those questions on the next show. So I look forward to hearing from you. All right, so we're back with Dr. Beverly Lanzetta, and just before the break we talked a little bit about... um, the mystic and the definition of the mystic, and uh, uh, we talked about how it's sort of uh, a time when the veils of the world open and we begin to see something more real. I want to sort of connect that, if we can, to the concept you mentioned a little while ago of the transformation of the false self.
3: Yes, in in terms of the mystic? Yeah,
2: how does the the mystical experience help us transform the false self? Oh, okay, that's, that's a very good question. I mean, I think
3: part of it is that, you know, and I want to make a little distinction here, there's a tendency to think of the mystic or mysticism as something so otherworldly that most people cannot achieve it. And I just want to point out that, you know, for me, and I think for many people, mystical consciousness is really intrinsic to every person. It's within us, and we all have the capacity to achieve it or to come to, come to those moments of openness. But um, to relate more directly to the question, um, I would say that what happens in this mystic experience for most people is that in their encounter with uh, a moment of awe or wonder, uh, frequently this leads to almost like a sense of compunction for how a person has lived their lives. In other words, this moment of awe shows us that there is another world, uh, more compelling, more profound. And it shines a light, if you will, on those parts of our personality that um, are uh, limited or um, controlling or false, however we want to define false. And so I think one of the first things that helps with the unraveling of the false personality is this recognition of that, of being... the the recognition of the possibility of living in a more authentic way. It's almost like our eyes are open. We have a a moment of illumination. We go, wait a minute. You know, I'm not living the way I'm capable of living. And I think once that moment happens, it begins to, um, in a way, create, plant seeds within the person and uh, open them up to other possibilities. So that the mystic vision um, precipitates, if you will, as a catalyst for the unraveling of the false self. Now, not every person who has a transient you know sense of awe is going to um, start working on themselves or decide that it's time to change their lives, but nonetheless it's it's a start, and I think that one of the things that this this vision of life provides us is a reconnection to the passion that's in, that's within us. And I use the word passion in a particular way here because I think that um, what fuels the spiritual journey, what really helps us to break down the false self, is this deep intention, this deep longing to know what is really real. And it's, a, it's sort of the passion of the quest that gives us the courage to pursue the past. Is, is that making sense?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely it is. Yeah, and, and we were talking during the break. I, you know, I, I work with so many people as I'm uh, doing therapy, and so many of them will be just longing, that sense, that sense of longing that you just spoke of, just longing to be able to, sort of touch the hem of the garment of the authentic self, and, and they are looking for an intellectual path to get there. They want to me to say, here's how you do it. You do this, and then you do this, and then you do this, and then you're going to get it. And and mostly it is based on experience. Once you've sort of had some kind of experience where you can tap into what is real inside you, from there you begin to go, oh, okay, I get it. That's what's real inside me. And, yes, it is very much connected to passion. So I'm real glad to hear you say that. And I'm also very thankful that you just said that any, every one of us have access to the mystical because I do think that that's the pervasive um, sort of thought out there that we are, are you know, some people get to have it and some people don't. I think we can choose to sort of um, recognize that there is that, that place within us that has greater depth and, and attempt to go there.
3: Absolutely, yes. And, and I... You know, I just, I love there's um, Teresa of Avila, one of the great uh, 16th century mystics. She has a wonderful phrase, and she talks about that the, the way to achieve um, the spiritual life is to have a great determination, and that we can't pursue it like we're, um, you know, just renting a house, like it's something transitory and impermanent, that we have to um, give our whole selves to, we have to literally buy into, if you will. Um, the desire and the longing we have because it's that desire and longing that gives us, again, the strength and the courage to to move forward.
2: Absolutely, especially when there's a resistance uh, force on the other side of that that might say, well, no, I'm kind of scared to try that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We have to have some, and I I don't think it is, usually it's not or never, I would say, is not based on a should it's not based on some kind of i'm going to do this because this is what i should and so much of our previous thought about religion had to do with duty and obligation and shoulds and this is a whole different thing isn't it yes it is because
3: what what happens when when we are touched and that's why i like to use these words like passion and touched and Evoked and so forth, because it really is that way. When we are touched by something that has meaning to us, when we are touched by nature or you know a young child or or you know a feeling of love, um, it it helps us to realize that um, we are we are composed of of a process. We are composed of love of of a benevolence that is really beneath are all of our social constructions. And if the spiritual life is about anything, it's about getting into that depth, into that stream, in order to um, live from a perspective that is that has the capacity to be um, transformative and holistic. Um, and so, uh, you know, these impositions, or, or I even consider them as violence, the violence in which we have been taught that, um, you know, there's a punitive God or that the spiritual life is outside us. These things get embedded in our, our inner lives and our psychology and, and really cripple us. They cripple us in the sense of, of feeling that we have the capacity to make these changes. And so a part of the beginning of the quest, really, is to recognize that um, we, we, do have, we do have the ability to to seek an intention, and to um, follow that intention at the same time that we realize, and this is the paradox of the spiritual life, that those moments of of awe or those moments of mystical insight are given freely. They they're not something we can make happen. So there's a level of humility and intention that go together, and those things are always at
2: work. Right, right, and <clears throat> and the mystery is in the. Fact that we are sort of waiting while not waiting, <laughs> exactly.
3: Or yeah, or, or what? You know, the, the a- non-action action as you know, like you, we like to say in Taoism. You know, that, that we're we're acting, but we're not acting out of our individual will. Mm-hmm. We're acting out of something deeper than the than the will of let's say the individual self or the ego self. We're acting out of life's passion for itself. Mm-hmm the passion in which life was created that we can see all around us. And that's a different stream of consciousness than the stream of consciousness of I'm going to make something happen because I want to. You see what I mean?
2: Yes, absolutely. Or because I should or have to.
3: Or, or I Exactly. Right, right.
2: I love the way you say in the book that the spiritual experience is an experience with all of life. Can you say some more about that? Well, yes, and I think one of the unfortunate tendencies, particularly
3: in the Western traditions down through you know, the last centuries, has been to make an, a distinction between spirit and body, you know, um, the spiritual life and the rational life and so forth. And I think the split in consciousness has um, really damaged um, Western thinking. And today, people are realizing that spirituality has to be embodied the true contemplative life is a life of embodiment that recognizes the, the great gift of, of, of the physical world, the great gift of nature, the great gift of being in a body. I mean, where are our enlightenment experiences happening? They're happening in our bodies. Um, it's through our bodies that spirit is, is speaking into the world. And so our bodies are a great source of wisdom and so are the body, are the bodies of all of nature, you know, the sky, and so forth. And so, this holistic view um, is very important today because we we desperately need a return to that communal consciousness, the Earth consciousness, the consciousness of the holiness of all beings.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, and and that whole idea of the body as being part of your spiritual experience is um, is almost foreign to us in some senses because for so many centuries we have said that the body was the source of our evil
3: right right and
2: i think this is
3: this is one of the the very hopeful uh, changes that are going on in, in the you know the last let's say 50 to 100 years is this integration of you know mind brain research psychology spirituality Science and so forth to look at the whole panorama of what it means to be human and how these different systems that have been separated in terms of study and analysis, how profoundly integrated they are.
2: Um, absolutely, absolutely. And we're going to talk some more about that right after the break. We'll be back in just a moment with our last segment with Dr. Beverly Lanzetta.
4: awakened media for a transforming world seventh wave network over there over there's the water whoosh whoosh and look at all this stuff I'm standing on it's called sand and it's everywhere this woman may sound silly to you and me it's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks teeny little pieces of rocks but to her two year old son exploring the world around him she makes perfect sense Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at PornLearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education... I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. as a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics,
1: America is facing a skilled workforce shortage. SkillsUSA can help. What is SkillsUSA?
4: SkillsUSA is life changing.
0: SkillsUSA is awesome.
4: SkillsUSA is one of the biggest opportunities life can give you.
2: SkillsUSA is amazing.
4: SkillsUSA is motivating.
1: SkillsUSA specifically prepares you for the workforce. SkillsUSA empowers students to connect with a network of people, starting with their classmates, to their advisors, to other people in their states. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
2: And we're back with the last segment, talking to Dr. Beverly Lanzetta about global consciousness. And uh, this is... uh, sad but we're not going to have just but a few more minutes to talk so i want to give the listeners a chance to be able to know more about how they might be able to contact you or learn more about you so can you tell us about that Uh, yes well i have a website um and it's
3: www.beverlylanzetta.net and so uh, on that site you know there's ways to contact me and um some writings that I have online and various other things so that's that's the best way probably to get in touch with me
2: is through the website okay do I understand that you're also an artist I do
3: um yes I do I I do sacred art I paint um icons and also retablos a uh, retablo is um a specific form of icon that was um first practiced in northern New Mexico. Um, it's a particular style, and I, I do that as well. It's more of a folk, folk version of an icon.
2: Wow. wow. Well, I have to tell you, listeners, that her website is absolutely beautiful. You feel like you're floating around in a, in a piece of artwork, so you should go see it just for that, if nothing else. Um, net. All right, well, I want to ask uh, just a few more questions before we get uh, close out. Um, you talk in the book about something that you call the interspiritual. What do you mean by that?
3: Well, um, interspiritual, there's a number of words that are used today, and let me just sort of mention several of them. We use the word interreligious, interfaith, interspiritual, which the word interspirituality was first coined by um, one of my colleagues, uh, Wayne Teasdale, um, and intercontemplative, intermonastic, and all of these terms are being used today to imply dialogue, first of all, but not just dialogue on an intellectual level, the dialogue of deep religious experience. So that, um, the word inter in inter, in all of these phrases implies kind of this sinking down into the, the deep roots, the ontological roots of where our religions join and or our spiritual understanding joins and sharing at this very deep level. Um, so it's, it's also implying that we are drawing nourishment from these roots and not just the root of one religion but the shared communion or cross-pollination of different traditions. And, and so it's become a very important word today um, because it, it, you know it, again, it's implying that, we don't have to have only one religion or one worldview in order to deepen our lives, that we are actually drawing from the well of this interpenetration of traditions. And that we're applying this interpenetration to our inner lives. And so earlier I mentioned something, you know, for example, like um, Christians practicing Zazen or um, Jews practicing Buddhism, let's say. Um, that we're drawing resources from these deep spiritual practices in our world religions and integrating them in our own inner lives.
2: in a very indi- um, individual way.
3: In, in some cases in a very in- individual way in other cases they're leading to the you know the, the creative transformation of traditions or the emergence of new traditions or new forms of tradition. So um, it's having just a very um, it's an eclectic, but unifying um, uh, movement that's going on within our inner lives and also out in uh, society at large.
2: Right, right. And when we tend to resist that sort of inter, I'm going to call it inter-dialogue for inter-spirituality, what are we so afraid of, you think? Well, you know i don't I'm not
3: totally sure other than the fact that you know we do we are as humans we do get habit habituated to ways that we live and and what we do, and so uh, sometimes we're very comfortable where we are, other times we we are afraid to, as you're saying to to look maybe around the corner to to be afraid. I mean, I know some people that come to me for spiritual direction very genuinely are concerned that they're being blasphemous or betraying you know, their God, you know, if they're Christian or Jewish or or whatever tradition, by becoming open to another tradition or by allowing in new wisdom. And I think that when people begin to practice it and try it, they recognize that any authentic faith is going to lead you to a deeper experience even of your own faith. And so uh, there's no real reason to be afraid because, you know, if if the variety and splendor of, of the divine realities that we have, that we're graced to have in the world that come down through history, are truly transcendent, are truly from a divine source, let's say, if that's the case, then they're only going to deepen our lives. They're not going to, to harm us. And so I think many people, once they try it, they realize that there's much to be gained, there's, there's a, you know, much that they learn, and it deepens themselves.
2: Right. makes sense? Absolutely. Absolutely it does. And and this whole thing, as you've um, alluded to, the fact that it was sort of a feminine process, and I'm thinking in terms of Carl Jung's ideas of the feminine, but when, you, when we talk about this being sort of a, a new um, global consciousness that puts us in a feminine mode, exactly what do you mean by that? Well, I think that,
3: you know, um, you know, when that, was, when that was first articulated by a number of these people that I mentioned earlier in the talk, I think what they were saying was a number of things. One, that um, feminine consciousness or the feminine divine has been with us from time immemorial, but in the last centuries has kind of gone underground, particularly in the West. And so I think that part of what's happening is that in our world today we are becoming aware as never before, of this other side of life, the the side of life that we could call feminine consciousness that is both in women and in men. And so, um, you know, a number of scholars today say that this notion of a a divine feminine is helping us to move away from a view of God that's absolute and punishing, uh, moving into a view of God that's more benevolent, um, intimate, mutual and so forth and so I think that it's all part of this large shift in consciousness that just as we cannot have you know um, half of of the world meaning in this case women oppressed we see that going on in the last you know centuries that women are, are becoming equal partners in life in the same way the religious life the divine feminine life also has to come into focus for us to be truly whole, and this is part of what Jung was doing in his own way between the animus and the anima. Absolutely. absolutely. You
2: know, so that All right, that the well, we're idea... going to have to close out today, and I'm so sorry that we have to do that. We've really enjoyed talking to you, Beverly. Thank you okay. so much for being on the show, and we're going to talk some more about global consciousness next week in terms of the mystery, the unexpected, sort of the re- radical revelation of that. We'll be back again then. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself.
1: Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio.